you would help us to lift you up and to glorify you, uh, that we would not become a reproach. And Father, for the next several hours as we're gathered here, I pray that you'd help us to lay aside the cares of the world that we came in here with, the burdens that are upon our hearts, and perhaps even things that would distract our minds as we are listening to the teaching of your word, things that would cause our hearts and minds to be pulled away from it. And would you help us to lay those aside for the next several hours and to put our hearts and minds wholly upon you. Guide and direct our steps today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 17, if you will. Psalm 17. And uh, we're probably, with looking at the time and knowing how much material there is, we'll probably be two weeks on this particular psalm. So I won't, won't try to rush through the notes here today. Psalm 17. Let's take a moment to read through it. Uh, there's no... Uh, specific title that uh, has been uh, given to it. Most uh, uh, people that have put notes above these chapters and have tried to entitle them along the years uh, have called it a prayer of David, just simply a prayer of David. And uh, certainly David was a man after God's own heart. I would say this, that uh, it, the, the title or the, the, uh, the, the, the characterizing of David being a man after God's own heart uh, implies the closeness of his relationship that he had with God. And there's no doubt that David was a man of prayer. Uh, in fact, I'm amazed as I read through the Psalms to hear the depth of his praying. And if you ever want a manual on how to pray, and uh, I think reading through the Psalms is a wonderful way to look at how David prayed uh, oftentimes for things. And, um, and so this particular Psalm is just titled, A Prayer of David. And um, he's going to be praying about uh, those that would oppress him, those that were his foes, and those that were coming against him. And uh, we're going to look at that a little bit closer. Let's look at, we'll read through, uh, there's only uh, 15 verses of it, so we're going to go ahead and read through the psalm, and then we'll uh, uh, dig into it here in a little bit. Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and found, shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand, them which put their trust in thee, from, whose, uh, from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of, thy, of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings, from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. <coughs> they have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing to the earth. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint them at him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord. From men of the world which have their portion in this life, whose belly 
thou fillest with thine hid treasures. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Uh, there are several divisions of this particular psalm, things that we can kind of divide it and break it down into. In verses 1 to 4, we find that David is praying for justice uh, to be taken against his oppressors, those that would be his foes, his enemies, for God to bring righteous judgment upon them. In verses 5 and 6, we, we find here a, a prayer that David prays now for himself as his prayer switches from justice against his foes to God giving him the grace to act rightly during the oppression. Oh, what a great, great truth is found in these verses. And uh, oftentimes we pray for God to deliver, bring us out of oppression, but how often do we ask God to help us to maintain a right spirit and a right character during the time of oppression? And he prays that in verses 5 and 6. Verses 7 through 12, he prays for God's protection, for God's protection from his foes. And then in verses 13 to 15, <coughs> he prays that his foes may be disappointed and that he may be satisfied. And some great truths that we'll find in each of these sections as we go through them. And I uh, hope it will be something that will char charge our hearts and encourage us because there's the truth be told, we all go through trials, don't we? I don't know that we've gone through the same trials or the same type of trials that David did. David had people that literally, and we'll find here as we go through this particular psalm, that there were foes that he refers to as they were deadly foes. They were seeking for his life. And I don't know too many of us that have had that kind of opposition in our lives. Uh, sometimes we may feel like we have that kind of opposition, but I don't know that we've ever had that level of opposition in our lives or that, that much of oppression in our lives and yet David remains faithful and he cries out to God for some things in verse number one you're going to find that three different times he makes a plea to God as as his judge and we're going to see why that is here in just a moment but he makes three different pleas here for the judge to lend his ear to hear him he uses these phrases as we get to verse number one. First of all he says hear if you have a pen, you underline things, you ought to underline that word in verse number 1. Hear the right, O Lord. And then he uses this, attend <coughs> unto my cry. Attend unto my cry. And then thirdly, he says, give ear. Give ear. So three different times he's imploring God to listen to him, basically, saying, God, I want all of your attention. And understand this, and, and even the psalmist knew this. Um, I was talking with someone a while back about the Psalms, and uh, David is certainly uh, very transparent about the way he feels about things, and oftentimes it helps us to see that sometimes the way we feel is not unusual. That's typical for humans to feel the way that we feel. But David knew and understood the fact that God heard. There's no doubt about it. But three different times in this verse, he implores for God to, to hear or to attend or to give ear to. Um, and then we're going to find he's going to pray that again here uh, in just a few verses. He's going to pray something very similar to that. And understanding this, that God, we, we know this, we know this, and I'm certain David did, that God hears us. So, so what was it that he was crying out to God for? Uh, you got to understand that 
this was not just a casual prayer. This is a fervent prayer. This is a prayer that numerous times we find the word O oh in it as he cries out to God. And he, he says, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. And he uh, oftentimes is in deep distress and in deep emotion and in a contrite spirit. And, and uh, I would say this. Uh, as we read the Psalms, I think it would do us well to realize that these were not just um, uh, just a, a brief prayer time where David just knelt for a few moments in prayer and then got up and went about his day as if nothing happened. But these were things that were weighing heavy upon David's heart. And when he cries out to God three different times for God to give ear to it, what he was uh, implying by that, I believe very strongly, is, Lord, I know you hear me, but... I want you to give special attention to this. This is something that is so deeply embedded in my emotion, in my distraught spirit that I have, that, Lord, I need, I need something extra special in this prayer. And I remember years ago, and I've shared this before, when Jonathan was little, he would talk to me, and sometimes if I would respond to him and not look at him, uh, he would get frustrated with that. He would call my name, Dad, and I'd be like, what, Jonathan? And he'd say, Dad. I'd say, what, Jonathan? And finally, he'd reach over and he'd grab my face and he'd turn it towards him and make me look him in the eyeball. And he'd say, Dad, and what he was doing by that was saying, Dad, I know you're hearing me, but I need all of your attention in this matter. And I would say that this is what the psalmist is doing with God, even though he understood and knew that God heard him. And while we understand that God certainly can give all of his attention to him, David's feeling, David's heart was, Lord, this burden is so great. But I need to make sure that you're listening to everything I say. Now, this is only from David's perspective, mind you. God is just as intimately involved in those our situations even before we ask Him. More so than we could ever plead with Him in our cause. But David pleads his cause three different times here. He says, I want you to hear me. Give ear to my cry. And someone wrote it this way. He said, the troubled heart craves for the ear of the great judge. I thought, boy, what a great statement. The troubled heart craves for the ear of the great judge. Uh, if God could not hear us or would not hear us, that would be a travesty. But you know what's a greater travesty than that is if the reason that God doesn't hear us is because of our lack of praying. James said it this way, ye have not because ye ask not. Wouldn't it be sad that uh, we did not get the ear of God in matters that were so vitally important to our lives, not because He wasn't listening, but because we failed to bring it to Him in prayer. And while it certainly would be sad if God did not hear us, it would be even more troublesome for us if having the right to come to Him and knowing that He answers our prayers and hears our prayers, that we did not take our petition to Him in prayer. That'd be even a sadder state, would you not agree? Knowing that we have that ability. There ought to be a greater fear that we do not hear God than that He does not hear us. Oftentimes we are not willing to do the things that we know are already right and already His will to do according to Scripture. And notice He says this about verse number 1. He says, Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer, that goeth not out of unfeigned lips. If we think that deceit in the world that we live in, trying to be deceitful or 
deceiving others, if we think it's a horrible thing to do, how much more does God, how much more does God detest deceit? How is it that man thinks that they can fool God? That we can pray as if our heart is one way and know that our, we know inside that our heart is another way. And I, I think it would do us well to, to understand this and, and, to, and to maybe live more consciously of this. That God not only sees our needs in our lives, but when we come to Him in prayer, we cannot deceive God. We can't say things in our praying that are not part of what our heart really is. Um, I think there have been numerous times in Christians' lives where we have said one thing to the Lord. And I'm trying to think of a good illustration to use for this. And I, I think probably the best I could say would be, Lord, I, you know I love you with all of my heart. Before we ask Him our petition... And yet, full well knowing that our hearts are not nearly in love with Him as they should be. And folks, how, how arrogant it is for us to think that we can deceive God. And when David comes to him in this prayer, and you're going to see, he's going to say some pretty powerful things in this prayer. He comes to him in what he says are unfeigned lips. He's going to go on here as we get to verse number 2. He says, let my sentence come forth, notice this, from thy presence. In other words, he comes to God, not only saying, Lord, I want you to hear my petition, but I want you, Lord, to pass judgment upon me. I don't want my foes to do it. They've accused me of things. They have slandered me. They've spoken evil against me. I don't want their judgment on me, Lord. I want your judgment on me. And he speaks for God to, to, to give his just judgment. And I would say this, that only the innocent of heart can pray such a prayer with confidence. This is why David said, I can pray this prayer with unfeigned lips. Because what he's doing is saying, Lord, I know and I recognize that you know even my heart. You know the deepest, darkest crevices of my heart, Lord. And I want your judgment. Now notice what he says as we get to verse number 2. He wants God to give sentence upon his case. And I would say this, that the innocent will never shrink from being examined in their heart by a just God. The innocent will never shrink from that. We'll never cower from that. We'll never run from that. But it will be the prayer on our lips, Lord, try me. Search my heart. And even if there's something there that should not be there, it ought to be something that we've not noticed before that we say, Lord, I want you to try me. And if there is any wicked way in me, I want you to show it to me. So that I can get it right. We live in a day where so often it seems like people will try to harbor things in their hearts. They will pretend to be something that they are not. And I think that as long as we're on this side of heaven, we will always be something that we shouldn't be. But I think we ought to always be desiring to be that which we should be. It ought to be the desire of our hearts. He says, let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. With Jesus, uh, David could confidently say, I want you to judge me. 
Because David was not trying to say, I'm sinless and without sin. But he was putting his account, his record, if you will, in the hands of a righteous Savior. And knowing this, that when we come to God, that we can come to God with innocence, not because we are innocent, but because we've been made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, Our hope does not lie in the prospect of favoritism from God and the consequent suspension of His law. We expect to be judged on the same principles as other men, and through the blood and righteousness of our Redeemer we shall pass the ordeal unscathed. The Lord will weigh us in the scales of justice fairly and justly. He will not use a false weight to permit us to escape but with the stern, stern equity, those balances will be upon us, used upon us as well as upon others. And with our blessed Lord as, all, as our all in all, we tremble not, for we shall not be found wanting. Because we've been given the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the confidence that David comes to, <coughs> to God with and says, Lord, I want your sentence to come forth in this manner. I want you to try my heart. Thou hast proved mine heart, verse number three. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast, <coughs> thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me, and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Now, there's a lot in this verse. I'm just going to give you a few things as we go pa- passing by. But he uses a similar, uh, similar uh, phrase, if you will, or something that is very much parallel to what Peter said, if you'll remember in the New Testament, when Jesus said to Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? And after the second time, he said, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. In other words, he said, what Peter was saying is, Lord, I'm not just saying this with my mouth. You even know my heart. And you can look in there where no one else can look, and you can see that, yes, I don't just say that I love you. You know that I love you because you know my heart. And David is using a very similar structure here as he says this in verse number 3. He says, Thou hast proved my heart. In other words, Lord, you know it. You know the deepest, darkest crevices of it. Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. In other words, when there's no one else around, when no one else sees, Lord, you see. Thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me, and shalt find nothing. And again, David not speaking of sinless perfection here, but speaking of the fact that he had been made righteous by his faith in the Lord Jesus. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that had not yet happened. He had his faith in that, looking forward to Calvary, just the way we have faith in it, looking back to Calvary. He says, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Hold your place here for a minute. We're going to look at one other passage of Scripture, and then we're probably going to end with this verse this week. 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. And verse number 21. John writes this. He says, Beloved, If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. If our heart condemn us not, 
then we have confidence toward God. You say, Pastor, is there, is there something that the Bible talks about regarding how I live my life now that I'm saved? All through the Scriptures it does. It speaks to the fact that we are to live holy. John makes up the point here that the way that we can have confidence with God and to be able to pray a prayer such as the psalmist did is that we have a good conscience. That there's not a lot of wickedness that we have to look at and say, uh, I've, got it, I've got all this stuff going on. And we tend to break that fellowship with the Lord and not have the confidence with Him that we should. Now notice, we're not talking here about an arrogant spirit or commanding God around. But we're simply saying, Lord, I'm willing to have you search my heart. Can I tell you, only someone that is seeking for righteousness and holiness in their life can say that with confidence. Pray that type of prayer with confidence. I wonder if that prayer was prayed on the lips of those that are saved today. How, how, how confident would we be in praying a prayer like that? How confident would you and I be if we prayed, search my heart? How confident would we be if we said, let, thy sentence, and let my sentence come forth from thy presence. I want you to judge it and I want you to sentence me. Would we have confidence to pray such a prayer? Or would we be in desperate fear of God's sentencing upon our lives? So he says, Thou hast tried me. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing. I am purposed. And I love this phrase. He says, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. David is one that over and over throughout Scripture decided and determined some things in his life. Later on in the Psalms, he makes a covenant with his eyes that he was not going to defile his eyes. Here he's determining or purposing in his heart that he shall not transgress with his mouth. That's a pretty strong thing. James talks about the tongue and that no man can tame it, that it's set on fire of hell. In fact, James says, if a man can tame his tongue, he can tame the whole body. And yet the psalmist says, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. I wonder how comfortable we'd be making that promise to the Lord. David certainly was a man of righteousness, righteous heart. To be able to pray such, with such confidence and prayer such that God would try him and to pass judgment upon him. I'm going to read through verse 4 and we'll just make an introductory statement on that and we'll pick up there next Sunday. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Powerful, powerful verse. By the words that God has given to David, David says he kept himself from the paths of the destroyer. Psalm 119 speaks of that. And in verse number 11, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And David here echoes that. He says, Concerning, thy work, concerning the works of men, others on this side of heaven, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. We're going to speak a little bit more, a little further on that next week. But it's amazing to me, the more I study Scripture, the more 
Scripture speaks of the fact that it is by God's Word that we are kept from sin. If we want to have a heart that is clean, if we want to have a heart that can in confidence say, Lord, I want you to judge me. I want you to pass sentence on me. It better be a heart that is directed by His Word. It better be a heart that doesn't have the desire to sin, but longs for the righteousness that comes by His Word. And so we'll look at that a little bit further next week. And I apologize we didn't get much further than we did, but we'll, uh, we've got two more pages of notes here, but we'll get through them quickly next week. The rest of it moves a little faster. But let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we do thank You and we uh, praise You for the fact that we have a Bible that we can hold in our hands. That we can open its pages and we can meditate upon these verses. We can squeeze the juice out of them.